Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And George will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons What's up guys? Welcome to the Walk-Ons podcast It's Friday, September 16th And we are going heavy into football today We've got NFL, all things NFL College football breakdown And we've got a guest Good friend of the show, Dan Hartigan, from the co- uh, he's a co-host of the podcast, Sorry We Love Football. So a little bit more on him later. We're going to dig deep into the NFL with Dan Hartigan. So Andrew Schuster, my man, let's go into a little college football because that was a wild week, too. Yeah, that was a great week, too, for a couple of different reasons. I mean, obviously, the first one that sticks out is Texas. Um, you know, that was a great football game. It's kind of the first game I really felt like where it felt like college football was back this season. Um, and, you know, it, it was uh, right down to the end. Bryce Young might have made his Heisman play that already gets his, you know, second consecutive Heisman kind of that campaign rolling. And, uh, you know, Ryan, do you think Texas is back? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a nice callback, Andrew, because I did say with much trepidation last week that Texas might be back. And I really was keying on this game because, look, there's not it's not often early in the season out of conference that Alabama goes on the road. Right. Usually. It's that typical SEC, right? We're, we're home to Austin P, and are we going to win by 50 or 60 or 70? Not really sure. This is a big-time game, and this is one of the funnest games that I can remember watching. Usually, there's so many games on a Saturday, right? I'm, you know, I'm flipping over five, six, seven different channels, but I could not get away from this game. It was so much fun. Texas was the, – the environment there in Austin was amazing. It was loud. It was awesome, and everything was kind of going Texas's way, right? All these – defensive penalties I think Willie Anderson who's going to be a top 10 pick this year for Alabama he had five or six penalties Alabama just kept shooting themselves in the foot Quinn Ewers was throwing the ball all over the map until he got hurt Uh, this was a really really fun game but no I don't think Texas is back necessarily but I do think this is a huge step in the right direction for them this is a game that even last year or two years ago they're losing by 40 and Alabama is just running them over on a way to another national championship appearance but the way Texas hung in there, the way their defense played, they forced a lot of you know, a lot of bad plays. Look, Bryce Young is Bryce Young, and he did he did his Heisman thing. But look, the way they moved the ball, and I mean, you're talking about a backup quarterback in Hudson Card for for the Longhorns, basically on one leg, who made this a ball game, and they had a chance to win in the last second. So, yeah, th- this was a really really fun game. But I don't think it's I think it's less about is Texas back, but more is Alabama as good as we thought they were. Yeah, no. I- I mean, like, I think there was so many stats that were like, this is essentially the most undisciplined game that Alabama's played almost since Nick Saban got there. I mean, the penalties were absurd. It was crazy. Um, Saban was losing his mind on the sidelines. Yeah. And so the fact that they still pulled it out on the road in Austin, which say what we want about Texas the last couple of years, that's still a formidable place to play. Um, And, you know, like, I guess there's a little bit of luck on their side. I think if Quinn Ewers plays the whole game, we might be sitting here talking about Texas doing the upset, but it also might be really tough for the rest of college football to know that Alabama got their stinker out of the way early. You know, I, I, as, as much as we can you know, talk about Alabama's dominance, they typically have a game every year where it comes down to the wire. They don't play their best game, and it's up to them to kind of show that they're the Alabama team we've come to expect. And the fact that they get week two, you know, against one of these, you know, not necessarily an Austin P, but also not necessarily a, an STC heavyweight just yet, but a good solid game for them to kind of get the – you know, the, the crap out of their system, and I'm sure they will not have another penalty-stricken game the same way they did, they did this week. Yeah, well, certainly an SEC behemoth matchup would be in conference play, but now we're in the, the out-of-conference play moments right now, especially for the SEC, and it's, it's nice to know that Alabama, quote-unquote, got the crap out of them. Uh, so that's nice. So good, good on Alabama for the bowel movement. Uh, but, yeah, look, it, this is a really interesting game. It was really fun to watch. I don't know if it means anything one way or another, but I, I do think Quinn Ewers is the future of Texas football, and he already proved it. Obviously, Arch Manning is going to be coming in next year. That's going to be really interesting, but I think under Steve Sarkeesian, the Longhorns really are set up pretty well. Uh, but look, we mentioned the SEC. Everybody knows that's a conference to beat, but there might be a little sneaker here, and that's the Sunbelt Conference because Sunbelt Conference had themselves a weekend, Andrew. App State took down Texas A&M in College Station. Marshall won me a lot of money beating Notre Dame and South Bend and then Georgia Southern and Scott Frost career in Lincoln, which I think that's probably the least surprising of the three, but 
Look, what does this say for not just the Sun Belt, but maybe the overall parity, right? I mean, you're still looking at with, with the transfer portal and NIL. Yes, the Texas, the Alabamas, the Georgias of the world, the Ohio States, those are they're still going to attract the biggest talent. But what does this say? These this performance by the Sun Belt specifically, three wins over big time power five teams. The, the dilution of talent is is pretty apparent, right? I mean, these these App State for sure. And Marshall, Marshall had the best defense in the country last year, by the way, and they returned nine starters. So there's some interesting levels of talent outside the power five. Yeah, no, I, I think the big takeaway is that I think that the Sun Belt had a great showing last week and they're going to be a fun conference to follow this year. But I, I think it was more indicative of the specific teams they played. I think A&M is it, them and Notre Dame are both kind of these teams that have a lot of talent. Bad quarterbacks. And, and they, and they come in. Yeah. They come in and it feels like, yeah, they're going to be a top 10 team, but then they ultimately, you know, fit a little up to that expectation. And so even though the ranking was at, Texas was six, Notre Dame was eight. I don't think App State went in and beat the sixth best team in the country. I think by the end of the year, we'll see Texas A&M is probably not quite up to what we expected at the start of the season. Same with Notre Dame, especially now that their starting quarterback is out. Um, I, I think they got, you know, really good performances um, from teams that are like came in and it was almost their Super Bowl for the season. You know, Marshall going into Notre Dame, that's got to be the biggest game on their schedule. So I think it was a little bit of like some teams that are going to underwhelm with some over-exceeding teams that, you know, they had a lot more to play for than the other team. Plus, I mean, Nebraska, that's not really playing a power five school, even though it is, um, you know, we all knew Scott Frost was going to get fired. It was a question of when, not if. Um, And then the other takeaway, kind of what you were talking about with with the transfer portal, is it really shows, I mean, they throw up statistics in both the Marshall game and the App State game. Those are teams made up with, with older players that have transferred from Power 5 schools. You know, these are guys who are the backups at a Pittsburgh or the backups at a, you know, Oregon State or somewhere where they're not actually going to get the chance to shine, but they're quality talent and they're coming onto these smaller schools with a better chance to show off their skills. And so you're getting an A&M team that's, you know, loaded with recruits that they had the number one recruiting class in the league or in the country this year. But when you get an 18-year-old playing against the fifth-year senior that's been around the block, yeah, the other guy might be more talented, but the other guy knows how to play college football better. And that you, you saw that in firsthand. They just really dominated the line of, line of scrimmage. It was grown man strength versus some kids just coming out of high school, and it showed. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that in the future, these group of five schools kind of picking the, the outskirts of the rosters of these power five schools and the, and the quality of talent going to even out a little bit so that was kind of the first example of that on display yeah it's painful to 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 agree with you as much as I do Andrew but I think that is the sort of not an unintended consequence of the of the transfer portal but really just sort of the other side of it right I mean you're looking at teams like Georgia Alabama anybody in the SEC Ohio State that that roster is three deep with four and five star players and you got guys who are going to be four stars coming out of high school they could start pretty much anywhere in the country they go to Ohio State next thing you know you're third on the depth chart these are the kind of guys that are ending up transferring to App State or to Georgia Southern or to Marshall you're looking across like you said that that screen on the I remember Marshall specifically it's like they got 21 transfers and you got a bunch of guys from the SEC you got Arkansas you got Ole Miss you got Alabama you got Georgia and it's like yeah these are these are guys who can play these guys who can play not only can play but have been in systems in the SEC for two or three years being backups. So that, that's the interesting part of the transfer portal is you're getting these guys who are big time, total talents. They're, they're worthy of a power five, but they don't get an opportunity because they're behind, you know, a first round draft pick. So they make their way to Marshall and they make their mark. So that's a really interesting part of the transfer portal. And I think it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. And it's something that's very important, but speaking of the transfer portal, USC might be, the pillar of the transfer portal. They are the poster child. So many big transfers, Jordan Addison, Pitt, of course, Caleb Williams, got a bunch of other guys, but they absolutely obliterated Stanford. And I, look, I watched a lot of this game. Stanford shot themselves in the foot a lot, multiple turnovers inside the five, but just watching USC and Caleb Williams and what Lincoln Riley could do with that offense. Is this a team that you could think could, could actually potentially Certainly they're not going to be saving anything from the back 12 because they're as good as gone. But I mean, can the USC Trojans get into the playoff this year? I, I think they can. And it's purely because the pack 12 is so weak that there's very much a so situation bad. in play where they're undefeated. 
And if you take an undefeated Power 5 team, they're going to be in the playoff unless there are five undefeated Power 5 teams and you have to cut one. I mean, I, we can all on paper say USC probably isn't as good as, say, this is just theoretical, but like a 12-1 and Clemson or a 12-1 and Georgia. But if they're undefeated, they won their conference, you know, the, the, the playoff kind of has to take them. And so I think that alone is the reason why I think there's a viable path for them to do it. I mean, outside of Utah, I just don't see who's going to go in and beat them unless they go in and just have a stinker game. It's, I didn't think it was going to happen this quickly, but I think it's more the circumstances of the conference than it is necessarily USC is, is ready to play with the big boys right away. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, we're out of time here for the college football segments. We're going to come right back with our buddy Dan Hartigan. He's co-host of the Sorry, Sorry We Love Football podcast. We'll be right back. All right, our guest today is a good friend of the show. He's the co-host of the Sorry We Love Football podcast. Dan Hartigan is with us today. Dan, what's up, man? How are you? What's going on, guys? Excited to be here. Dude, it's great to see you. Uh, we were talking before we went live here. You know, we had, we've had we've had a good run of some uh, some some good interviews here with some, you know, some interesting athletes, Pete Rose, to name a few. But uh, I always love rapping with other podcast hosts, man. This is where we have the most fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is our excuse to get together. It's like a basement on Zoom or whatever you record on. Um, and Andrew and I are happen to be neighbors in real life. So we do this in person sometimes, which is a rarity. Um, yeah. I haven't seen the guys I podcast with in years. I can just see him like cornering you at a bar or something or like somewhere in your apartment complex and just shoving Broncos content down your throat day after day. Oh, we've done it. We've done it back and forth a few times. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first time I interacted with Dan, I said, I'm Andrew Schuster. Let's ride. And he's like, all right, I know exactly what this is. I don't like it one bit. And was the response fly Eagles fly? I hope it was. Uh, Eagles country. Let's fly. Yeah, exactly. Let's fly. Okay, perfect. Well, we're going to get to the Eagles in a little bit. I promise you that Dan, but let's talk about the first game at hand. First game of week two, uh, Chargers at Chiefs. Look, it was everything I think we wanted to see. I think in my perspective, you know, this was probably the first time in Justin Herbert's career that I think legitimately the Chargers had the better roster going in. You know, I know that they've won a couple of times at Arrowhead, but I really think on paper this year, the Chargers are the better team. And lo and behold, the Chiefs do what the Chiefs do and the Chargers did what the Chargers do and they choked away a late lead. So what's your take on this? I mean, is this more of a disappointment for the Chargers or is this just a big win for the Chiefs? And, you know, they're just going to continue on rolling. Uh, I'm going huge disappointment for the Chargers. Uh, they went up 10-0. It's an off night for the Chiefs. I mean, you're not going to catch them most times where the offense isn't clicking. Juju never got going. None of the wideouts really got going. Uh, Kelsey is getting body slammed. Uh, it's just, it's so charged. Asante Samuel dropped an interception that he had in his hands, which may Two. have been. Yeah, they one of them may have been an interception. So it was, it was kind of- Bryant would agree with that. yeah no doubt um and it was Thursday in you know the 99 yard interception return I think that's on Everett more than it's on Herbert that's a miscommunication you could see him trying to tap himself off the field even as the play is getting started they're in hurry up he's gassed it's week two it's a what four-day turnaround from week one so just the perfect avalanche of shit for the Chargers and yeah, man. If I'm the Chiefs, I'm just like we just got away with one. Like they didn't have their best their best stuff that night. And um, if I'm a Chargers fan, I'm just like, how am I confident in this Not season yet. now? This is the same old shit. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I I totally agree. And as an AFC West fan, I mean, all I want is to have everybody lose each week. So last night I was like, all right, one team's gonna win, one's gonna lose. But what are the takeaways we can take away from this? And for me, it's both teams look vulnerable. I mean, they both look really good. I don't want to put Denver on the same plane as them them obviously after they shut all over themselves this week on national tv but you know the chargers and chiefs have kind of been pegged as the two favorites potentially in the entire afc outside of the bills so i thought last night even though the chiefs ended up winning and i think they firmly established we're still the team to beat the afc west they looked vulnerable in a lot of ways and like we just said they kind of got away with one i mean the chargers literally did exactly what we keep saying year after year the roster looks really good but chargers gonna charger they're about to score and take a seven point lead. And the next thing you know, the guy who was flipping burgers at Wendy's just a little while ago was running one back the other way. And again, it's like they do something just as stupid as like Gerald Everett's gassed. And the guy we've just like ran into the ground, let's throw that at him again. It just, it's, it's the Chargers have a great roster. Like you said, I legitimately thought they were going to win last night. And 
they gave it away like they seem to always do. Yeah, it sure looked like they did. I mean, and that's funny. You guys both said it. Like, the Chiefs got away with one. Saying the Chiefs in this era got away with one at home is pretty wild. I mean, but still, Pat Mahomes doing what he does, throwing a touchdown pass to some tight end from Penn that I've never heard of. I mean, he just – he makes these poor men really, really rich men. It's it's pretty incredible what he can do. But yeah, I don't know what you have to say for the Chargers, but, I mean, I feel like watching Justin Herbert especially, I mean, maybe they just need to start every single game down 10 and with a fourth down because every time I'm watching that team for the last two years, like Herbert is – he's making his money in the last five, ten minutes when the team's down – converting fourth and down, fourth down he got a couple last night two or three last night remember that game at the end of the season against the Raiders last last year I mean he had like five fourth down conversions so I don't know what it's going to take for the Chargers to just wake up but maybe they just need to start every game down and, and just start on fourth down because that seems to be when they actually take things seriously otherwise they're just kind of coasting and they're not going to be able to do that in the AFC West that's for damn sure yeah I don't know what the deal is but my, my main thing is everyone keeps saying Justin Herbert top three quarterback on paper, when you watch him play, it's like, yeah, he looks incredible. Sure. But then you go back to, they haven't even been in a playoff game yet. So it's like hard to put him in the same boat as Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes when, again, a lot of it is the team he's on. I mean, he literally is on the team that might shoot themselves in the foot more often outside of maybe the Falcons. But, you know, and now he might have a, you know, messed up ribs. We don't know how hurt he is. He still threw a touchdown pass late, even though it was clear his, like, ribs are about to fall out of his body. So, you know, that's another thing to keep an eye on because if he goes down, I mean, Chase Daniel, he's just like, I'm the king backup quarterback. Don't put me in a game because that's not what I'm paid to do. Chase Daniels, so. one of the best careers in all of NFL history. What a, what a beaut. I absolutely love him. But I, I certainly don't want to see him on the field outside of Herbert. But as far as the Chargers, look, it, at some point, you got to rise to the expectations. And the expectations have never been higher and the clock is ticking. But, Dan, speaking of expectations, your Eagles coming in this year with high, high expectations – Look, I, I love them. I think they've got talent all over the field. They drafted really well. Uh, Roseman made really good use of those three first-round draft picks. Uh, now you've got the Dallas Cowboys, who are really the only other team in the East who looked like they were going to challenge. They are hobbled. Um, what do you make of, uh, of this Phillies? Excuse me, not the Phillies. We'll talk about them a little bit later. But the Eagles, uh, just in terms of the expectations, right? I think this is, this is as big as it could be for Jalen Hurts and his career. And uh, he's got all the talent around him to succeed. So what, what do you think? The, the expectations are through the roof. And it happened ahead of schedule. I mean, Jalen Hurts, I'm not sure what they thought they were getting when they drafted him. But now, last year, we accidentally made the playoffs. Um, and now you have this quarterback on a rookie deal, which is when the teams are strike now. That's where why Chargers have such expectations. The Bengals are right there in that situation. Uh, we know these guys are going to get paid. I don't know where Hurts is going to wind up, but it's win now time. And so you trade for AJ Brown, got Slay the year before. The secondary is kind of through free agency and some deals, but the rest of the team is homegrown. I mean, the offense, aside from AJ Brown, all guys that we drafted. So I like the consistency and that they've played together. You bring Jalen Hurts' best friend. There's like some intangible there where you're just making him happy. You're the, the harmony in the, in the locker room and the vibes coming out of camp, immaculate. We're one and oh, the vibes coming out of week one, not immaculate. <laughs> there, there's some holes, but uh, I here, here's how high the expectations are this year. Uh, Monday morning, I'm taking the first flight to Philly and I'm going to the Eagles Vikings game because right. I have to be there. I need to see just primetime home opener. The last time I went to a home opener was 2017, the Jake Elliott 61 yard field goal against the Giants. We wound up winning the Super Bowl that year. So I'm trying to replicate something karmically. And uh, so, yeah. And it's uncomfortable as well, though. Nobody wants to be the front runner, especially when you're a team that in a city that takes that underdog spirit. You're just looking for an edge and you're searching for a reason why people doubt you. And I know Jalen Hurts isn't necessarily in the Herbert Mahomes Allen discussion. And that, that's kind of the place that the media at large is saying, well, that's kind of the flaw. What, what is this quarterback going to look like? But if you can build a quarterback in a lab, it wouldn't be Jalen Hurts. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I want to touch on that really quickly. Just yeah. like, right. Philly is, that's a blue collar town. They want to, you know, grind it out. And yeah, you guys have won a Super Bowl 
recently, which is great. But in terms of expectations for this team, what does this season look like in terms of the success? I mean, is it is it NFC Championship game or bust, Super Bowl or bust? Are you guys going to be happy to maybe host a playoff game? Like, what, you know, because we know Philly fans, they love you when you're great and they don't love you so much when you're not great. And sometimes they don't love you so much when you're great too. So what is the actual realistic expectation for this season? I mean, is it, wh- where are you guys at? Sitting here today before this week two Monday night game, um, the sky's the limit. Uh, I think this is a pivotal game. We're going to really see what this team is made of. Um, and so- it's going to be hilarious if they're two and oh, then it's Super Bowl or bust. And if we're one and one, then it's like, let's just tank and get the hell out of this hurt situation. So Eagles fans are insane. But from where I'm sitting today, um, it is NFC championship for, uh, excuse me, NFC East championship. We have like, it'll be embarrassing if we don't win the division. I like that. Start small, <laughs> take the division, then host a playoff game, then NFC well, Championship game. Don't set your sights too high now. It's baby steps. I mean, you're you're building out a culture here. This the coach is still young and unproven. We don't know what this defensive coordinator is. Uh, so you make the wild card a seven seed last year. You know, any other season, you're not in the playoffs. But so we got lucky with one. So now let's host a playoff game, hopefully win that, and then you're in the NFC Championship game. So I think one playoff victory is kind of the minimum expectation. Um, I don't know who, what that would mean, who's coming to the link in that home playoff game, but I think we can reasonably expect – it's crazy to just picture your team in the NFC Championship game, but that's where I'm at. I think we belong there. I think we're top four NFC team, especially, like we're saying, with this division, it's kind of a free trip to the playoffs. So can we win one game? Well, as a Niners fan, I can tell you what it looks like when your team goes to the <laughs> NFC Championship game, and I can tell you it, it really, really hurts when they get that far and they don't, they don't cash it in. Ooh, growing up, I mean, you know, 2001, 2002, 2003, uh, four, or excuse me, three straight NFC Championship losses for the Eagles. You can relate. It, 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 it kind of made me, you know, and that's like middle school, high school. I'm a little older than you guys, and like, it just becomes like you're a loser now because you're associated <laughs> with this team and it's you're a laughing stock. So it was nice to break through and get to the Super Bowl uh, in 2004. But yes, uh, as a Niners fan, the, the tart drop, I'm sorry. I mean, you guys belonged in the Super Bowl last year. Matthew Stafford was unimpressive the entire playoff run. I, you know, I'm not taking anything away from that Rams team. They're, they're great. And they went all in and it worked out. But um, God, that's tough, man. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not one of those guys who blames Tart for that, but um, certainly I, I, that replays over in my mind and every Niners fan's mind, probably for the rest of our lives. So no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Dan, you brought up Jalen Hurts a little bit. You said he may not necessarily be the quarterback you envision when you're, you know, creating a quarterback in the lab, but he still hasn't been, you know, necessarily a bad quarterback. And in fact, like he's a top fantasy quarterback for a lot of people, but that being said, there's clearly some distension. He's clearly the one guy that seems to be holding everyone back for maybe naming them the outright NFC favorite. So as a Philly, you know, Philly fan, what do you need to see him do this season to have confidence in him, not just for this playoff run, but in the future? Or is it kind of like, no matter what he does, if he's not spectacular, you guys are going to be trying to find something else in the future. It's a tough one because you'd like to see him go through his progressions and not get happy feet. I mean, he, he takes the snap. He looks one way. If it's not there, He's his, his eyes aren't downfield anymore. And he's looking for a window to, to scramble. And when it works out, like in the lions game, you put up 38 points and you, and you leave a winner. And it's like, can I, can I be too upset that the guy ran for 90 yards? I mean, fantasy managers certainly aren't that upset. No, not at all. I I have him in a few leagues. And, um, but you know, as we saw in the bucks game, um, in the playoff game, when you play a playoff defense, I'm not sure it's going to work out that way. So you kind of need to establish that you at least have the ability to, to be patient and work the pocket. It's like I'm reliving McNabb again. It's crazy. And like McNabb actually had, he was bigger, faster, stronger. I don't know if he was faster, but he was certainly what you'd look for in a more prototypical passer and hurts. I think he has the, the, the arm. It's not like, I don't think he has less zip than burrow. Like it's not like he doesn't have arm strength. He just doesn't have patience and he has one of the best O lines in the, in the game. So you're going to have to trust that you're going to be able to look around and make some decisions. Devonte Smith didn't have a catch in week one. 
And I don't know if that's because, you know, AJ is just that open or available, but eventually, and I think that says a lot. He hits the tight end or he hits his first option. That's why Rager never took off. That's why Rager's such a bust. I mean, Wentz had him for a little while and gave him opportunities, but he, he dropped him. And, and But um, Jalen Hurts has never really gave Rager or any number two option a um, good look. So he needs to do that. Devontae Smith's a Heisman Trophy winner that you uh, use a first-round draft pick on. So he's going to either get, um, you know, what's the word unrest he's he's gonna get restless or you're gonna have to feed him so there's enough talent to go around and Jalen Hurts needs to understand that and so I think once he if he can prove he can use utilize his weapons I'll feel pretty good going forward with him yeah absolutely and I can talk as somebody who has Devontae Smith on his fantasy team luckily I didn't start him but yeah that was pretty wild to see a donut up there (laughs) truly it yeah, and I think it speaks to that, right? I mean, you can say that Jalen Hurts is a is a young guy. Um, you know, obviously he, he's going to have his struggles, but yeah, this sort of limitation in year three to not look beyond one your receivers options one and two. Um, in order to be a great team, I think you got to have four or five dangerous options. To I mean, that's just that's what you do. Due to some technical difficulties, we had to reset this segment. We apologize for any inconvenience. Enjoy the rest of the show. And we're back with Dan Hartigan. All right, Dan. So we obviously talked about last night's game, the Thursday opener, but let's let's go back to week one, right? Let's cue the overreaction, so to speak. Let's talk about the first game that opened the entire season. Bills absolutely dominated the Rams in opening night. It was it was amazing to see. Uh, but let, we're going to go around the room here for week one. Let's just give me your biggest takeaway from that game, because I think there's a lot to be said from what the Bills did. You know, maybe it was the Rams just kind of choking a little bit. I'll, obviously, those questions around Matt Stafford's elbow. But what's your biggest takeaway from that game? For me, it was that the Bills had four turnovers and they won by three touchdowns on the road against the defending Super Bowl champions. Like this Bills hype train in the offseason might be as advertised because this team's really good. And I think they're going to kick the shit out of the Titans. And I think the takeaway is just the Bills. I can't like think about their last couple games playing the Chiefs and then that game against the Pats. Like they have put together like three straight dominating performances. And I don't see any reason why it's going to stop unless there's a major injury. So uh, I am impressed by the Bills, the Rams. I don't know. I don't know what to think. <laughs> Just I'll be patient with them. But yeah, bills are legit. That's my takeaway. Yeah, my biggest takeaway, I was actually at this game. Um, and uh, my biggest takeaway was was more of the halftime show. Ozzy Osbourne came out of a little crazy train. We were like, <laughs> I can't believe this man's still alive. That's how unexciting the game was. It was clear from the jump that the bills were clearly the better team. You know, the Rams are notorious for not doing anybody in the preseason. And it just, you could tell, they just—they were not ready for NFL football. And their first match was against the Josh Allen buzzsaw and the results played out to that. And, you know, it was insane. I kept saying this the whole first half. I'm like, if they didn't have four turnovers, this game would already be over. It'd be a 30-point game at halftime. And instead it was tied. And we're still thinking this might be a second half worth watching. But as soon as it came back out, it was like, nope, the Bills are on a different playing field than the rest of the, of the Rams that night and maybe potentially the rest of the NFL. They looked that good. And, you know, how heartbreaking that loss was last year. There's a reason I think they're the Super Bowl favorite because they had that chip on their shoulder this year. They were that close last year and they, they know what they need to do now to win the, the Lombardi this year. Yeah, that was impressive, right? And obviously we talked earlier in the show with you, Dan, about you know expectations surrounding maybe the Eagles, the Chargers. I mean, that's, the Bills are another team. They are pretty much the walkaway Super Bowl favorite. And you wonder how that's going to weigh on somebody you know, on a team like the Bills who suffered just so many excruciating losses, obviously all those Super Bowl losses in the 90s to the, to the Cowboys, but this really does feel like a team that is a playing on a different level. And I guess my biggest takeaway is Josh Allen, just the growth that he had. You know, he was obviously a big-armed guy out of Wyoming, but it was really, I mean, the, the takeaway from him is so many people were saying, well, he's going to be nothing. He's just a big arm. He's no, this is such a stupid, even Jalen Ramsey himself said that that was a stupid draft pick and Josh Allen was trash. And he just went and started 12 for 12, 15 for 15, just absolutely throwing wherever he wanted to go, running the ball, running over cornerbacks. I mean, this growth from Josh Allen is pretty impressive. 
and something I don't think anybody can honestly say that they saw coming. Uh, all right, let's move over to Browns and Panthers. The ba- Baker Mayfield so-called revenge game was anything but revenge. Obviously, the Browns went on the last second field goal. Baker struggled in the first half. He was okay in the second half. But, Dan, I mean, is is maybe the exuberance or the excitement coming out of Carolina a little bit overstated? Yeah, they had Sam Darnold last year, and they've really struggled pretty much since any post-Cam Newton. But um, Baker Mayfield, I don't know if he's necessarily the savior. He's probably better than what they've had over the last five years, though. Yeah, I'm not seeing savior. Um, I like Baker. I like guys that play with swag and come in confident, but I'm not sure. I don't like Matt rule and I don't understand how they're using McCaffrey. And that's McCaffrey has never led to um, real life success. He's, you know, been pretty good as a fantasy player or all time as a fantasy player at times, but um yeah, I don't know what the take. They should have won the game, first of all. So, like, we could be sitting here being like, hey, Baker, 1-0. They lost on a 58-yard field goal. Um, so, you know, they had a – they showed some some backbone in the second half. But I'm – I think I'm out. I'm out on the Panthers. I, I, I'm not out on Baker as a starting quarterback in this league, but I don't think it's going to be under Matt Rule. So, I like him as one of the first coaches fired. And it seems like he already has one foot out the door as it is. So, I'm – I'm good on, on that, but they have such a great defense and it's like, it's just a strange situation. It's like, it's so hard to, to consistently win in the NFL. So the the Panthers, I don't think they're set up for success right now. No, I completely agree. And as someone, you know, grew up in Charlotte, I have tons of Panther friends. They are, they could not want Matt rule fired faster. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, is it lame duck? Is it lame duck? It's, and I think there's a little bit of excitement for this game specifically because of the Baker rematch. Uh, element to it but I think outside of this I just don't know many Panther fans that are that excited for the season they don't have any expectations um, I think the one thing that they have going for them is the NFC is more wide open than it normally is you know if they kind of just hover around 500 potentially they could sneak in as that seventh wild card team but I, I think ultimately you know the Baker Mayfield is your starting quarterback it's kind of putting a band-aid on a huge gaping wound that the Panthers have with with Matt Rule who's clearly not set for their future as their head coach and an owner who's been super meddlesome and doesn't really seem to have one direction that he's clearly pulling him in. So I think the Panthers have a lot more organizational issues to deal with first before the on-field product gets better. So that's why this year, I think even Panther fans are kind of like, yeah, we'll see how it goes, but we're not expecting that, you know, Baker Mayfield to come in and be our savior. Yeah. I think you guys are both right. The Matt rule hire just in general was just kind of weird, right? I mean, if you're going to pull a, a coach from, the ranks of the NCAA. I mean, it's got to be somebody from the SEC, right? Or an Urban Meyer, even though we know how that worked out in Jacksonville. But, you know, hiring a guy from Temple and hoping he's going to turn your, your NFL franchise into something that's going to be a perennial playoff contender is just kind of odd, in my opinion. And I, I agree with you, Dan. I think he's he's definitely got one foot out the door. But I guess my takeaway from this is what nobody's talking about on the Brown side is Jacoby Brissett is a legitimate backup quarterback. I mean, he's somebody who can keep the Browns in contention, right? And you get, you get Sean Watson, who's coming back after 12 weeks, uh, which you would think would kind of just decimate that team and, and their hopes this season. But that defense is so good. Brissett just doesn't make mistakes. He's not going to throw for four touchdowns, 400 yards, but he's able to keep the team in the game and let the defense do what they do. And, and they, they're one and oh. So good on you, Jacoby Brissett. All right. Bears, Niners. God, this one stings already. 19 10. Niners had this one in the bag until they didn't. Uh, it got away from us late. I guess my biggest takeaway, just because I don't have the heart to talk about anything related to the Niners, that that field at Soldier Field is absolutely ridiculous. We need to blow that thing up. Yes, I know it was a torrential yeah. downpour, but we're talking about one field that unequivocally is one of the worst fields, if not the worst field in the NFL. Everybody was talking about it in the preseason, all those divots. Yeah, their their kicker, Cairo Santos, basically saying, yeah, I went out to a dirt parking lot to practice the conditions of Soldier Field. Then, of course, they go touting this new turf that they laid down, and it looked like a freaking puddle. I mean, it, Elijah Mitchell's down for two months. I'm not going to say that was the, fi- the, the turf, but I don't think it helped at all. It's actually probably a miracle that more guys didn't get hurt, but they need to go ahead and blow that field up right now. That's my takeaway. No more home games to the Bears this year. Uh, I want to know your takeaway from the Trey Lance video that emerged of him making it rain in the club. 
Oh, don't worry, Dan. I've got that in the do's and duds. <laughs> okay. I've got that for you. I got don't, that in the back pocket. Quick preview for, for what's to come. <laughs> yeah, a little teaser. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really have a takeaway other than um, typically it's nice to relish in Ryan's team losing, especially to what might have been the worst team in the league. And then my team went ahead and did the same thing. So mm-hmm. you will hear no yeah. trash talk from me about that game. <laughs> other than, yes, we could probably throw it in the trash because of the weather. It wasn't, you know, on paper, though, they lost the Bears. What's going on? It was literally, you know, just the, the most uh, wet I'm sure any of those football players have ever been in their entire career. So we can throw in the garbage. I'll throw in the garbage as well and just say, Ryan, everybody in your division one except for the Seahawks, which we know that's fraudulent. So it's a mulligan. We don't have to count this game. That's right. We're going to, we're going to get our shot at home at the Seahawks and Geno Smith this week. So yeah, I'm hoping for a, a couple one and ones on each side. For sure. All right, guys. Uh, this was, this is one of our producers. Seamus is, is also hurting about uh, dolphins beat the Patriots for the fourth consecutive time, which is actually pretty, pretty wild, but they beat them handily. I mean, Mac Jones, that offense did not look good. I think my, my biggest takeaway, and I've always been a Mike McDaniel lover. Um, I think what he's going to do with, this Dolphins offense is pretty impressive. And I think he just showed maybe just a little bit of it against the Patriots, but you know, he's so smart the way he gets guys in space. And he's got, of course, you know, everybody who plays Madden knows they've got the fastest team out there with Mostert and Waddle. And of course, Tyreek Hill, but I think the creativeness of Mike McDaniel, he's a guy who deserved to have a shot as a head coach. He's finally got it. He's got a team that, that is going to rally around him. My one concern is, what are we really going to get from Tua Tagovailoa? I don't really know if he is the kind of quarterback that can lead a team. Um, you've seen some of the videos where he's, he's throwing 30 yards short of Tyreek Hill. Uh, Tyreek Hill might have you believe that he's got the best arm in the league, but I don't see it on, on tape. So while I worry about Tua, I do think Mike McDaniel is going to put that offense in the best position to win. So the Dolphins are a very interesting team. I agree. I, I I'm in on this Dolphins team. I thought, They've had, especially going into this matchup against the Ravens, I think we saw last year, I think it was a Thursday night football game where they just flustered Lamar all night. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was the game where Javon Holland really became a star, where it was like this guy out of the safety out of Oregon. Like, who the hell is this guy? And next thing you know, I mean, he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. Right. And Tua is now 4-0 against the Patriots, which... I know Makes no that sense. the Dolphins just own the Patriots recently for some reason, or I guess the, the past couple of decades, it was the Brady's only kind of thorn in this side during that whole run. But um, yeah, I, I I'm out on Tua, I think as like an elite quarterback, but can he be a solid quarterback? I think we're still figuring that part of it out. He seems to be able to win. He's capable of winning. So he might be holding them back, but I like the creativity of McDaniel and, and you would know better than anybody like um, playing with a quarterback that has limitations, you can still succeed and make it all the way to the Super Bowl. And I think that's the, the recipe that they're going to have to do is that Niners uh, Shanahan recipe. And I think they have exactly what that team looked like. They're just the East version of it now. <laughs> Yeah, no, not to shit on Jimmy G too hard. No, it's okay. No, to to say Jimmy G has limitations is probably the (laughs) nicest thing you could say about him. So thank you. Truly. No, I was gonna say my biggest takeaway. You know, it's kind of hard to read from that game because honestly, no offense, Seamus, but the Patriots' offense just might be the worst thing we've ever seen. You got Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, two guys who don't exactly have goodwill in the NFL right now, kind of co-coordinating, but no one's actually the coordinator. I mean, that's just, I, I know Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time, but like, that's, what did you think was going to happen with a young quarterback that just went from Josh McDaniels, who, as much as I dislike the guy, he's a, clearly a great offensive mind, and he's succeeded as an offensive coordinator for years. To go to that, I just don't see how that was set up for success, and then you know, the Dolphins, I, I think this week against the Ravens is a better test to see are they truly up there with the AFC elite because and we were kind of talking about the Eagles. The Dolphins kind of scream the AFC version of that. This really great roster. They have everything at their disposal that on paper makes you really like them. But the quarterback is just such a question mark. I mean, there's literally press conferences this week where two is saying like, hey, if, if I can't see you, you're not going to be able to see me. I'm not going to throw you the ball. And that's so hard to hear from your quarterback. He's essentially saying like, I'm just set up to fail every time I step back to pass. <laughs> and then you got Mike McDaniel out here saying he didn't shower when he used to be an uh, you know, uh, assistant coach. I mean, there's just, there's a lot going on there, but I will say being in the AFC East, you know, they're, they're all but guaranteed four wins over the Jets and the Patriots where the other contenders in the AFC, 
you know, the North is a gauntlet. The AFC West is a gauntlet. Those teams are going to cannibalize each other. And so even if the Dolphins aren't necessarily one of the top seven teams, they're still in a great position to end up being one of those playoff teams just because their road to the playoffs is a little bit easier. But it's hard to take concrete takeaways from last week. I want to see how they perform against the Ravens, which, like we just talked about, was kind of their coming out party last year. So let's see if they can repeat it. Mike McDaniel, certified gamer, schemer, and now uh, stinky guy. So, yeah, thanks for that. But, you know, no big deal. He's just a football guy. It's all good. All right, let's do some quick hitters here with week one. There's a couple I want to skip over. The AFC South is bad. I think we all know that. Nobody's got a win in the division. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Uh, Look, the Bucs win a very, very boring game over a a Dakless Dallas. Uh, I'm not even going to go in on Dallas. Maybe you you can touch on it, Dan, if you want, but – uh, Dallas looks like they are on the way down but look here's an interesting game the Vikings absolutely dominated the Packers and now I remember what happened last year when the Packers got absolutely dominated at home by the Saints and then of course you go on and, and Aaron Rodgers wins the second MVP but is th- this feels Dan like a bigger statement here from the Vikings they got a new offense you got everybody who absolutely loves it Justin Jefferson Adam Thielen just talking about how much they love the way they attack on offense they're relentless Kirk Cousins, your, your standard guy who, you know, has a pocket protector, but it can also throw you three, four touchdowns and 350 yards if you need to. This is an interesting Vikings team, but I'm curious, is this game one, week one, is this sort of a patch, passing of the torch? Because I certainly don't see the Lions or Bears challenging this division, but is the NFC North the division for the Vikings to lose now? I say no. I think the Packers will rebound fine. And there the, Vikings, the Vikings going Vike, just like the Chargers going to charge. Like the Vikings have that just asshole tightening, afraid of success. Like that just reeks a part of like their franchise. There's something about that team that will not allow them sustained success. So could they go uh, 10 and seven or 11 and six this season and, and win the North? I think they could. But does that mean Kirk Cousins is going to go through the the tournament and, and emerge on the other side? I, I don't see it at all. So I think enjoy Justin Jefferson owners. And it's you're in for a hell of a ride. This is going to be one of the great fantasy seasons. Uh, Kirk Cousins is fully capable of slinging that thing. I think he's a good quarterback, but I, I don't know what what how to shed the the weight of history. It's just one of those things. This team can't do it. And I, I love that my team has finally gotten over it. So, so, so it is possible. But with this Vikings team, I'm not seeing it yet. I think, um, you know, they got the early Packers thing. And so, yeah, they're cursed. And I yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I hate that we keep agreeing so much. It does make for great content. But we're, 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 both, we're both right here. Uh, the Packers have history of doing this. They did it last year, 38 to 3 to the Saints and ended up, you know, going 13 and two to finish the season. And like you just said, the Vikings are going to Viking and they have a guy named Kirk Cousins as their quarterback. Um, I don't think Aaron Rodgers went and smoked all that ayahuasca and found himself this season just to go lose to a guy who looks like a middle-aged dad at a Kansas city mall. It's just not going to happen. I do think they're a playoff team. I think Minnesota is competitive. I think getting rid of Zimmer was addition by subtraction. You're bringing an offensive mind and get the most out of a really good offense tool set. But I, like you said, I just don't see Kirk Cousins, who is literally – has he won a primetime game yet, or is he, like, 1-12? in 12? What's, I don't know what his record is, but it's bad. He doesn't do great in the spotlight. He's at his best when he's, like, the fourth game on Sunday ticket. You're kind of keeping an eye on, and the next thing you know, it's a big game. But, yeah, I just don't see – I think it's more competitive than the NFC North has been in years past. I think even with the pesky Lions and everyone's – you know, our nation's hero, Dan Campbell, getting involved, I think that makes it more interesting. But I still think the NFC North – is the Packers to lose. But I will say, not off to the best start with the receivers and not having Devontae Adams there, they might take a little bit more to get gelled than they did even last year. So that's the other thing to keep an eye on. But And a quick note on the on uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, 62 and 62 and one is his all-time career record. So he is literally a 500 quarterback. I think that's his, his destiny. That's who he is. He is every bit a 500 quarterback. I mean, that is just the walking, talking epitome of a 500 quarterback right there in Kirk Cousins. Yeah, and, and Andrew, you mentioned it too. I mean, that's one of the things that I was really interested to see, obviously, with Devontae Adams out of this wide receiver core. 
and a lot of rookies, you know, what was going to happen. <laughs> that first play where Christian Watkins absolutely broke Patrick Peterson's ankles and then dropped what would be a touchdown. I mean, I just – I absolutely love the reaction shots on Aaron Rodgers, just the the eye rolls, the just, oh, my God, like I would hate to be a guy like Christian Watkins going back to that huddle or on the sideline. It's it's something that – but, you know, I feel like over the years, as much as that that would kill you as a young guy like Christian Watson – it's it's also something that Aaron Rodgers eventually gets the best out of everybody from a receiving standpoint. So yeah, I, I do agree with you. I, I still think the Packers aren't dead. Uh, I can never bet on the Vikings, but that was a pretty impressive week one win. So Dan, I know we're running out of time here, but I want to just touch on week two. So we got some big games here. Obviously we hit on Chargers Chiefs, uh, but I'm going to go through the list here of a couple of big games. Just maybe pick out one and a matchup or takeaway that you're looking at that, and tell me why. We got Bucks at the Saints. Dolphins at Ravens, we hit on that a little bit. Texans at Andrews, Broncos, look out, Broncos. Titans, Bills, and then Vikings at your Philadelphia Eagles. What game are you looking for forward to the most? I'm sure it's the Eagles, but you, if you want to go 1A, 1B, you can. Go for it. Uh, yeah, let's go with Andrews' game. Let, let's talk about the Broncos <laughs> a little bit. We haven't, we haven't, dove, yeah, we haven't dove in. Uh, I want to <laughs> know where you stand on Russ Wilson. I mean, he's revealed himself to be just – an eccentric personality yeah like i'm being <laughs> kind about that uh how do you root for this guy and i know just winning you just want to win it's just like when deshaun comes back like the browns fans will take playoff wins so it's whatever it looks like um i'm not comparing the two but russell wilson is bizarre and he lost against the seahawks week one they put up 450 plus yards 400 plus at least Andrew, where, yeah. where's the pulse of Broncos Nation right now? Pulse of Broncos Nation <laughs> is we love Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett is enemy number one. Um, I mean, to be, I, I'm, I'm a homer, but my initial impressions were we have a quarterback. Like, say what you want about the Broncos' performance. Russell Wilson did not lose in that game. He's not the one who turned the ball over. He's not the one that fumbled the ball twice on the goal line. And he's not the one that took the ball out of his hands on that fourth and five. It would be a lot different if he you know made a mistake and we didn't convert that he wasn't given the opportunities he had the most yards ever in a broncos debut game as a quarterback so like was it an all-time great amazing performance no but he was good and he was good enough that that team if they had just executed not had a hundred plus penalty yards not fumbled the ball not done the stupidest coaching decision of all time there's a world in which we're talking about that that being a 12 to 20 point victory and we're all sitting going yeah they struggled in the first half made Geno Smith look unstoppable, but ultimately they kind of got their shit together and, you know, won to week two. But I think what's get lost in this is he didn't really have a bad game. It's not like I'm sitting there going, oh no, he's right up there with Trevor Simeon and Case Keenum and Brock Osweiler of all these just trash quarterbacks that we, for some reason, talked ourselves into thinking was going to lead us to the playoffs. So as someone who just sat through six years of bullshit at the quarterback position, just to have a guy that we're like, he is clearly going to have us in the game each week. I don't necessarily look at him as, in the same class as Mahomes or, or Herbert anymore, but a guy that is not Kirk Cousins either. Like he's clearly in that class of you're going to be in the game every week. And he's got that proven history. If he can get you there, if you do enough to support him and don't put him in disadvantageous situations, like we did time and time again on Monday night. And I'll talk about Hackett's kind of decision more and dudes and duds, but I'll just say this. We are not happy with him. And I've never seen a coach's stock go from, we don't really have an opinion yet. Let's wait and see to we are already out on this guy. He it's it's I have not seen anything this bad from a coaching <laughs> debut. And I know it's his debut, so it's hard to put a lot of stock into it. But it was that bad. And we'll get into it more, but not a great start for him. Didn't Fangio. <laughs> oh, sorry. Didn't Fangio lose like a crazy his first coaching debut as well? Like he lost by a field goal in some just insane way. I can't remember. Oh, exactly he, we, how I think his out. first season, first season, we went we started like oh and four. Right. And all four games we lost and like, <laughs> what the fuck just happened? Like, right. it, 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 like if one play had just been handled by a non-idiot, they were like 4-0. Oh. And it was just, dude, but when I tell you like Broncos fans this week, we're just like, it, we're back on the same bullshit that we've gotten for six years. That's all we wanted was for it just to be different. Even if it was like we, we came out and, you know, we went a close one. It's just, we are so done with just the coaching shooting ourselves in the foot over and over again. And it might need to go from Chargers going to Charger to Broncos going to Bronco because it's getting that bad. 
Well, I'm glad Broncos country isn't overreacting just yet after week one there, Andrew. But yeah, I, I think you would do well to remember the Vic Fangio days and the Trevor Simeon days because Nathaniel Hackett is a step up. And of course, Russell Wilson is a step up. So maybe yeah, it's easy to play revisionist history. Yeah, you should have you should have gone for it on four and five with your 200 plus million dollar quarterback versus kicking a field goal where nobody has ever made a field goal at that stadium past 55 yards. So yeah, revisionist history is easy, but I'm glad you're not overreacting. That's really nice to see. But Dan, I know you got to go, man, but you got some dudes and duds for us. So let's go right into our dudes and duds segment. Dan, give me your dude of the week. Uh, I got dudes, actually. Uh, give me two, dudes. The two new Ravens mascots, Edgar and Allen. As we know, <laughs> Poe tore his ACL in the preseason, mm -hmm. and we all had to watch him get carted off the field. Just a, a terrible sight for fans. And today, the Ravens, Social media exploded by introducing two new characters, Edgar and Alan. They wear 101 and 102. <laughs> they had this bizarre, like, signing, like, uh, setup, which is just crazy because they won't sign their quarterback, Lamar Jackson, but they signed <laughs> two cartoon birds today. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, shout out to Edgar and Allen. I hope you guys uh, make it through the season healthy. First team I know of with two mascots. So that's an absolutely incredible pivot by the Ravens. <laughs> that's fucking brilliant. I love it so much. All right, Andrew, who's your dude of the week? Well, my, my dude of the week is Roger Federer. But before I move on to that, I got So what happens when Poe comes back? Is there going to be, is it going to be a, a mascot competition? Are we going to get like It'll be Edgar Allen and Poe? Yeah, come on. Edgar they can Allen do like they can be like the the Nationals presidents or the weenies at uh, the Brewers Stadium. They can just oh, race yeah. each other. Or maybe maybe play the Oklahoma drill or something. We're going to see Harbaugh's um, philosophy. Can you lose your job to an injury? Some quarterbacks can, others can't. We're about to find out. All right. Well, they just got to be careful. It. I mean, the Ravens have some injury history the last couple of years. That's nothing to scoff at. You know, hopefully those guys can stay healthy and uh, give us a full, uh, you know, eight-game home slate of, uh, of pure joy for the kids. Um, so back, back to my dude. We talked about a, a tennis great retiring last time, Serena Williams, arguably the greatest tennis player of all time. Um, if she's not, this guy might be. It's Roger Federer, who announced that he's retiring this week. And, I mean, talk about a guy who completely ushered in the current era of tennis almost single-handedly. I know Rafael Nadal and Djokovic came in later and kind of made it the big three, but he was clearly the one on the scene in the early 2000s that kind of made tennis the way it is now, where it's just pure dominant force. It's the best tennis we've ever seen played. And get this, this guy was ranked number one for 310 total weeks, including 237 consecutively, 20 grand slams total, including eight Wimbledon titles. I mean, he's been on, you know, the, the spokesperson for every luxury brand you can think of. The guy is pure class. He's Swiss. So no one hates him. It's it's incredible. My dude, Roger Federer, best luck in your retirement. We're excited to see what you do next. Absolutely. Roger Federer, a total legend. All right, guys, my dude. And yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier, and I am saying, dude, it is Trey Lance. It's Trey Lance. Yeah, there's a video that's been circling in the last 24 hours. Uh, Trey Lance tossing, a, making it rain with a bunch of strippers. Uh, first and foremost, I should probably say 1A and 1B. Dude, dude 1A is Trey Lance. Dude 1B is Jimmy G because Trey is – Picking up on all of the all of the me the mechanisms, all the mechanics from Jimmy G. We all know Jimmy G loves himself a good porn star or two, and now this is one of the horniest, absolutely <laughs> horniest quarterback rooms in the entire NFL. And look, here's the deal: I'm going to pull out a little Aaron Rodgers. Relax, R E L A X. Yes, we had an awful showing at that mud puddle in Chicago, lost that game. But Trey Lance is 22. He's chilling out. He's dancing, firing a few hundred George Washingtons into the air. It's no big deal. This boy is going to be ready. He's going to have his mind right for Seattle on Sunday. No big deal. Just let the guy do his thing. And really, this is just my defense mechanism, guys. I just do total avoidance when the Niners don't do well. So that's my dude of the week. Trey Lance, what's up, baby? All right. Who's your dud, Dan? Um, you know, you hate to end on a serious note, but uh, Robert Sarver, the Suns owner, you know, we don't need to to go over the allegations, but I'll say they're like 80s movies stupid, where it's just commenting on people's body parts. Uh, it's dropping <laughs> N-bombs like in the workplace. It's like- Not to mention, he looks like, he looks like every 90s villain from like an action film. Like just this like kind of like pockmark, just old wrinkly, just looks like he wants to just kill and be racist. <laughs> he, he has that look. Uh, and it's just uh, 
you know, points to a bigger thing where there's owners throughout sports now who are kind of getting their feet held to the fire a little bit more. So we'll see how that manifests itself in the years to come. But for him, it seems like he's out for, I think, a full season. Um, it seems like the players want him fully gone, and I don't think he's going to go quietly into the night. So we will <laughs> – I don't think we've heard the last of uh, one Robert Sarver. So uh, gross. <laughs> yeah. No, and, you know, you could even make the dud the, the entire NBA owner circle because for sure. the reason he's not getting rid of his team is because the owners can't set the precedent that if they do horrible, horrible stuff to their employees, <laughs> they get in trouble for that. Who would have thought that, like, they're going to do horrible things as billionaires with no sense of repercussions? And then you basically need your owner on tape saying something racist about Magic Johnson Pretty to uh, lose your team. That's all it needs. Uh, so if Chris Paul wants to get in there and, you know, wear a wire like it's the fourth season of The Wire, go in there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, my dud, we just talked about him or the situation, but I'll talk in more specifics about one, Nathaniel Hackett. And the first um, probably glaring nose was, uh, you know, a grown man is still going by the name Nathaniel. Um, that's that's the big red flag. <laughs> and was that I by say, somebody, a grown man going by Andrew and not Andy? I, I feel like if I was a grown man by going by Andy, that'd be more concerning um, than just going by Andrew. So to all the Andys out there, uh, I hope you're listening, but come on. Uh, Andy's the kid from Toy Story, not you. Um, so, you know, the, when I say that was might have been the most painful regular season Broncos game I've ever watched, I, I think I mean it. Not because they lost, not because in a vacuum, a week one loss to an NFC opponent, it's honestly about as, as, as good as you could ask for. If you're going to have one game that you just get away from you, you lose to an inferior opponent. It doesn't affect you in tiebreakers nearly as much, but it was just the optics. That's what really got me going. And, and so obviously we all know uh, fourth and five, they're at the 46, but there's still a minute left. They have all their timeouts, plenty of time that if they can con convert this, they can definitely get into really makeable field goal range and win that game. And you don't give the Seahawks a chance to rebuttal. Instead, they get to the 46. They're kind of stuck holding their dicks, not sure what to do for a whole minute, and then kick a field goal that had no chance of success from the start. You know, he was one of seven on field goals longer than 60 yards, now one of eight. And they went into that thinking that gave them a better chance than the guy they paid $245 million and it was a career 57% chance of going forward on fourth down and getting it. And then to make matters worse, you know, he comes out the next day and says, yeah, we should have gone for it. And the media ran with it as if he had apologized. If you listen to the soundbite, he's not apologizing that he made the mistake. He's apologizing that they just didn't get it. Like he's like, oh man, in hindsight, clearly we should have gone for it, but he wasn't apologizing by saying it was stupid to have kicked the field goal to begin with. He was just saying, I'm, I'm bummed we missed it because I would do that again in a heartbeat. And it was just like, how is this man the son of a former NFL coach and has worked his way up through coaching staffs and, and you know, with the Packers offensive coordinator the last couple of years, how was he that oblivious to a clear game situation that, you know, my grandmother could see was an, was an idiotic move. And, you know, for it to be on national TV, I think it was Monday Night Football's biggest game since 2000. And for the whole world to see it, I mean, they're still talking about it on Get Up. It happened on Monday, and they're still being like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Michael Wilbon, who has all of his affiliation to Chicago teams, had a temper tantrum on part of the interruption this week about it. He has, again, he has no stake in the game, but it was that idiotic that he was like, this man shouldn't even be coaching the NFL. Like Ryan said, am I probably overblowing this a little bit? But like I said, also, as Broncos fans, we wanted to see something different and to see the same level of just coaching idiocy we've seen under Vance Joseph and Vic Fangio. Uh, it was not a great start to the season. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'll learn your lesson next time, Nathaniel. All right. Yeah, I was just about to play you off like you were at the, an acceptance speech at the Oscars there, Andrew. But thank, thanks for just mercifully pulling that off. But we've got a guest here with a hard out. So I'm going to get my dud really quickly. It's Matt Ryan from the Colts. He's the eighth player ever to throw for 60,000 yards, second fastest oh, since yeah. Drew Brees. But that's not why he's the dud. He's a dud because, well, everybody – has already talked about the fact that the ball number that he threw 60,000 was, was 283. Of course, remember 20, 28 to three, the Super Bowl, Falcons and, and Patriots. But you know what? That's not why he's a dud. He's a dud because the Colts tied the Texans, the Colts tied the Texans. They're supposed to be the class of an AFC South, which is might be one of the worst divisions in the entire league. 
and maybe in, in the history of the NFL, but that's why Matt Ryan is a dud because you know what, look, that's a really, really cool achievement, but that's possibly the worst way ever to reach such an achievement. He's a mediocre player at this point with a mediocre team. They're going to go own two because they can't win in Jacksonville here in week two, Matt Ryan, congratulations, man, but you're a dud. You're just boring. And that's it for the walk-ons. We, I don't even know what we are. Well, it's Friday, September 16th. And we, we really, really appreciate our guest, Dan Hartigan. Go check out the podcast. Sorry, we love football. Dan, you're the man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we'll have to do this again. Uh, we'll have to bring you guys on to Sorry, We Love Football, do some crosstalk. Uh, but yeah, thanks again. Have a great weekend. Uh, let's ride. We love crosstalk. Let's ride. Make, sure you, make sure you put a cap on, uh, on, on Andrew's never Andrew's diatribe about Nathaniel Hackett. It's not possible. All right. Peace, guys. Uh, (laughs) All right. Thanks. The walk-ons.